It's more about uncovering what you already know about yourself and less about figuring something out about yourself. Because you come to town as a creator, whether it's a writer or an artist, and the first thing people say is, you need to figure out who you are. And I'm trying to tell them, you know who you are already. Just try to get everything out of your way. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. And I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. At OnSite, we define living centered as simply living out of the core of who we are. And today's guest is someone who, in my mind, exemplifies this in every area of her life. I can't wait for you to meet my friend, Nicole Gallion. We recorded this interview at the start of 2020, a while back, and that was before our world and work was disrupted by the start of a global pandemic. We had to push pause on uh, launching the podcast. However, the truths that Nicole shares are just as relevant today as they were when we sat down together. She graciously shared about her own transformative experience at OnSite and the ways in which she's living out of her truth today in the music industry. She's got an incredible professional resume, which I wouldn't have time to go through all of it, but she's a multi-award-winning songwriter. Uh, who's written songs for Lady A and Miranda Lambert, Keith Urban, Kenny Chesney, FGL. That's just to name a few. There's many others. And last year, this is really cool, she started her own label called Songs and Daughters, created to support and promote women in the music industry. Nicole is one of those special human beings who is just unapologetic for who she is. And she's passionate and she's someone who I'm grateful to call a friend. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend, Nicole. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yay! I've been looking forward to this. I jumped at the chance when this one launched because we both, I think, have an overlapping passion for the idea of pursuing emotional health and emotional intelligence. But you're known for being, a obviously, a world-renowned songwriter, uh, but you've also been, uh, which I love, vocal about the journey to get there, which wasn't straight and it wasn't easy. And so I'd love for our folks to hear a little bit about that. But I got to say, fast forwarding through your story to, to watching you from afar, and we had connection points. We'd been introduced a time or two, but the first time we sat down at that breakfast, I became a huge fan of Nicole as a human. Oh, thank you. And we had kind of an instant uh, connection, and I was like, oh my gosh, you could just have such a light. And I saw it beyond what you do, who you were was special. So thank you. Um, yeah, I remember that morning. I, I think we talked a lot about having little kids, yep. which is like the ultimate equalizer. It doesn't matter where you are in life. When you start talking about your kids, parenting just like grounds you. But yeah, I, um, you know, I came to Nashville thinking that I was going to work for a record label or be a manager or something. And through a series of events, like giving some kids piano lessons, which led to some other connections. I ended up as a personal assistant for someone in the music business. And I was kind of teed up to do that, to work in management. And um, and then life just had other plans. I, I got thrown in the middle of a bunch of songwriters just socially and was looking around going, I think I'm a songwriter. And so I think that was kind of like just blind faith or maybe ego or all of it together because I had never written before and 
ended up being a closeted songwriter for a few years, I say. And then I, I had my coming out as a songwriter in like 2005 or six. I had entered a competition at Belmont and that I thought was really just like privately turn in a CD of like you singing a song that you had written and you would get like some critiques. And it was a way for me to quietly figure out if I was good at all. And I, I didn't realize that if you won, you had to get on stage and sing the songs in front of like the entire Belmont crew. And, and so that really was like my big, okay, well, you're doing this now you're out, you're a songwriter. And I, I've been now a songwriter for Warner Chapel publishing for 13 years. I've talked to a lot of friends, obviously being in Nashville and being close to the creative community. And it's always interesting how people can often trace back in, in therapeutic settings. We use this tool a lot, uh, particularly out at onsite in our, our workshops is we use timelines. And so we'll have you actually sketch out or draw a timeline that would trace back significant moments in your life that might imprint you both positively and also adversely. Cause it's so important, I think, to understand the origin or you don't even get to really reconcile it, but can you trace back professionally? Was there a time when you were a little girl that you kind of knew uh, mm. that you were going to be well, who you are today? I wrote a letter to myself. It was actually part of a, a school assignment. Our eighth grade history teacher had us all write letters to ourselves. We were, so I would have been 13 that he would put away and we would get to read on our high school graduation night. And um, so I wrote this letter to myself and it's, it says, dear Nicole, you're probably packing your bags for Nashville right now. And you're probably really scared. And, you know, mom and dad are probably freaking out, whatever. It was very, um, I'm a writer. So it was probably pretty, I remember go, I actually still have this letter, but the way I wrote to myself told me that I, I, I knew like I, I, I was very much still connected to who I was and knew, and I, I was probably already kind of self-parenting in a way because I was, I was giving myself in this letter, I was permission to go mm. and to leave and to do something really scary. And sure enough, four years later, I was, when I got that letter on high school graduation night, I was packing up everything in my room and wow. was already enrolled at Belmont and had already you know, in my heart started grieving, leaving my family and everything. So I knew that I was coming here for sure. And I told everyone that I wanted to work for a record label and everything. And, and now here I am almost 18 years into Nashville and into my Nashville journey. And now I do have my own record label. <laughs> so I guess I've, I have been saying this for the, for the last year that I did really know myself. I knew what I wanted and, and I think for a lot of years, I told myself that becoming a songwriter was my full circle that I didn't know. But now it really has come all the way full circle back to what I said that I was going to do when I was 14. And 20 years later, now I have my own record label. <laughs> I always get asked, like, what would you tell young writers or, or young, especially people always ask me, what would you tell young female writers? And I just always say that you already know hmm. things that you need to know. It's more about uncovering what you already know about yourself and less about figuring something out about yourself because you come to town as a creator, whether it's a writer or an artist. And the first thing people say is you need to figure out who you are. And I'm trying to tell them, you know who you are already. Come Just on. try to get everything out of your way so you can get back to that. Because um, when I started to write songs, it took me a really long time. I mean, I had 
a publishing deal for five years before I made a penny for my publisher. And thank you, Warner Chapel, for that, for sticking with me all those years. <laughs> but what happened was I started to care less about everybody else and start writing songs that I thought were just going to be for me to love. And that's when I remembered that I knew everything I already needed to know about it. And I just needed to quit trying so hard for everyone else. Well, you now I'm recalling why that breakfast was so important. And we've had lots of conversations since then, but it takes me back to being so fascinated about one, the way you are an incredible orator, the way you kind of communicate story and use words, but it felt very, as you were talking about your process, even now, it very much paralleled the process that we've tried to curate at Onsite of taking people through a kind of transformational journey. And I love what you said. There was a couple of things in there. I loved what you said, but one is that you already know who you are and we've just got to support you in clearing the path and reminding you of that and mm-hmm. reclaiming that. And so in a sense, you're doing that professionally for the, the, the women, either writers, and then also now the ones that you I know you've got one artist and you'll probably sign more to your label. You're doing that for them in another way. And my guess is it has way more than just a professional impact, uh, but it can anchor people personally. I also loved what you said about self-parenting, which is a concept that may be unfamiliar to a lot of people. Something we spend time too uh, on at our Living Center program, where we kind of have to go back and reclaim a part of yourself. It, for you, it might have been that that little thirteen year old that wrote that letter. It sounds like you had the skills to navigate that before a lot of people do, because there's a part of ourselves at some certain ages where we kind of, if we look back, we kind of abandon because it just is too much stress, or they've experienced too much adversity, and we feel like we'd have to grow up fast, and then we forget the purity of now what you and I are getting to see, I get emotional too, every day in our kids' eyes, the freedom mm. that they have just yeah. to express themselves and be, and be who they are without the world telling them who they should be. Yeah. And then we get to take people back and reclaim that. But you use the word self-parenting, which I love. And so I, I, I hear how it paid off for you in that instance um, from 13. And then when you read that letter again and you were packing your bags, but how has that helped you in other areas of your life? Or, or not, you know, mm. has it ever, has it, has it ever been a case where you felt like you left a part of you behind, abandoned it and, or mm. how's it supported you? Yeah. I, um, I would say, and this goes back to like my big, probably some of my big work when I did my living centered, um, when we went through the process of rediscovering our inner child, which is what this is. And, um, I, I had a really clear memory of playing trouble with my parents at age five or six. And, you know, as you said, like we both have kids and my daughter was about that age. And so I think that helped and it probably doesn't hurt that she looks like me. So like you see this little version of yourself that you love and you want to be so free and, and, and have no shame or guilt about the way that they are. And then you start to give more of that to yourself. But remembering myself at her age, I had this memory of playing trouble with my parents um, you know, where you hit the thing in the middle and, and, and we would, and I wanted to win so bad. And I, and it was just this joke. My dad was like, you know, f- if I lost, it was best out of three or best out of five, best out, like we just kept going until I could win. And, and he said that I was the worst loser and that, and, and something about that for me, just like, uh, just broke me open because I realized that I had been so hard on myself for wanting to win. And especially being a woman, there's um, just some unfair labels 
that are given when you really want to win. And it's crazy that that game of trouble can make me so emotional because I was like, oh, no, there was nothing wrong with that. That was just fun. You just wanted to win and there's nothing ugly about that. And so um, that was a big way that I had been kind of fighting myself always that I was really competitive, but it wasn't with other people. I just, I was competitive with myself. I love the process. I love the game. I love the game of life. And um, so when I left onsite after that, and since then, this has been two years, I've, I have just played so much bigger at life and have given myself permission to want to win, you know, whether it's in business deals, walking in and someone asking what I want, because that has specifically happened. They say, okay, what's, okay, we're going to do a deal together. What do you want? And I'll say, I want the best deal that I can get. And they'll look at me like, okay, what is that? And I'm like, well, that's just what anybody wants. Right. Like, and why anyone, why anyone should be afraid to ask for that is a problem that, that we feel like that's a big, that's something's wrong with us that we want the best deal we can get, whether that's in a relationship or in a business deal or, and so that, that was a, that was a big thing more in a business way. I would say in a creative way, because I, I kind of split my time. I'm now more of a kind of creative CEO doing a lot of meetings and, and things like that. That's where my don't be afraid to win has come into play. Another way that I live is as a songwriter in a writing room, being very creative every day. And I think just remembering how to be so playful and how fun it was to learn, you know, when I was a little girl, what it was like for someone to give me a new piano book. And, you know, when you would learn all the songs in one book and then they would give you the next one. I loved that feeling of getting my new book and going home and having all of this material that was new to me. And I've gotten so lucky in the last, I guess now I'm old, like six, 18 years in Nashville, I've gotten to like go through metaphorically so many books and cross so many things off as a songwriter or as just someone in the music business. And I've remembered that feeling. I've gone back to that feeling of, okay, well, you got to win writer of the year or you got to have a number one or whatever. And I just try to remember that feeling going, okay, there's always more books. There's always more things for me to go learn as a creative. And so I just having a lot of fun right now (laughs) writing songs because of that. Mm. Uh, I love that part about starting a conversation off that way, just to lay the intention right on the table. Because you're right, everybody thinks that when you walk into a room, it's like, I want the best deal possible. But I think I can relate too to being scared to ask for that or being very timid about how you lay it out. Mm-hmm. Or even strategic, which is a version of timidness. It's almost like you walk in and say, I'm, how would I frame this mm-hmm. so that it doesn't feel like I'm asking too much, but ultimately this is where I want to be. So I love mm-hmm. this <laughs> right out of the gate. I want the best deal possible. It'd be amazing, I think, if more of us could answer questions about life that way. Like, what is it you want? I want the best life possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then to take it one step further, I want the best deal possible and I want you to have the best deal possible for you too. And then where that meets is the best deal. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to beat you out of anything and I'm not taking anything from you. It just means if we can both, whether it's in a writing room or doing a publishing deal or a record deal, if we can both be unafraid to be our best selves, 
then I think we'll have really healthy business mm. and we'll both get what we need and want. And yeah, I mean, just cause I think I'm special doesn't mean I don't think every single other person on the planet is special too. That's a good point. That's a great way to balance it. Particularly if you're talking about relationship, uh, to give, not just say, here's who I am and I'm going to share some of my power and worth with you, but also see yours mm-hmm. and it's welcome at the table too. Yeah. I had a interview with somebody a couple weeks ago who didn't have necessarily those words, but that same energy and that very proactive in negotiating, but didn't just say, this is what I want. Said, this is why what I'm asking for is going to be a win for you. And I was like, wow, that was really smart. And I walked I away. Love that. Yeah, I walked away from that thinking, okay. And what I wanted to do is when I'm in, in marriage with Vanessa, when I'm talking to her about something that I think we should consider doing to grow together and or even just do outside as a family, I need to be thinking about it through the empathetic lens of how is this a win for you? Not just what am I going to, what's the payoff for me? Yeah. Which is when we're in fear and survival, we're always thinking about what's the payoff for me? Yeah. Yeah. I actually pre, even years pre onsite, I had always told my friends when, when I was talking about my husband, Rodney and our relationship, I'd say, we always feel like we have an incredible deal with each other, like in each other, basically. I don't think we could get a better deal in love in life with someone else, the way we do life or the way we raise our kids or the way we make the culture in our homework. And I feel like we, um, we remind each, we also do a good job of reminding each other how good of a deal we have with each other. And that sounds kind of like transactional, but it doesn't feel that way. It actually Mm -hmm. feels just like, I know what I have and you know what you have. So let's behave that way. I don't know how I knew that pre on site because I don't know how I knew anything pre on site, <laughs> but somehow I lucked into a good deal with my my husband for sure. Well, it falls into the theory that you laid out to start the podcast. I think it's the foundation of the whole thing in terms of trying to live a centered life is um, is when you reclaim the concept that you actually have all the tools that you need and that. Uh, hopefully a place like onsite granted I'm proud of our curriculum and our modality and our experience and the people that guide you through it but that's just what they are as guides they're not the the protagonist in the story it's the people that come there and it's almost like you're already equipped it's just we're going to help you clear the path a little bit mm-hmm. so you had it all along i guess you know and you and I also share a passion around shifting the ecosystem of the way art and music are commodified and delivered and distributed into the world. I think historically entertainment had such dark corners and edges as a way to, it almost branded itself that way is it matched the brand of the artist at the time, which was you need to be kind of messed up in these ways in order to create good art. Mm -hmm. And not that good art hasn't been created from dark spots in our world. A lot of it comes from there, but that there is a way to sustain, I think, a healthy profession, but also put good art into the world and also have some balance and stay connected to who you are and your your families. But a lot of new artists don't get told that um, mm-hmm. or songwriters or whatever the profession may be, uh, even industry professionals. And I think you and I and some friends are trying to align to help shift that paradigm uh, so that this could be a health. We leave the space that's given back, honestly, to me and to you in a big way. We leave it better than we found it. And mm-hmm. I'm just so glad we get to align in doing that. And why do you think that's a passion of yours? I think if I'm honest, there's probably times even still 
when I walk into work with someone that I think, oh, they're not, they're not going to think I'm interesting enough because I have my life together. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not coming in scattered. I'm like, I have healthy boundaries with people. I, I'm in a really healthy relationship. I love myself. And it's sad to think that that would be a liability against you in our business that, you know, the thought that you have to be tortured to be cool or to be creative is, is just really scary and sad to me too, because it means that if that, if you're only creating out of a dark place and that's ultimately going to hold you hostage to that for as long as your career will go. I have some friends that have actually said to me, I don't know how I create out of dark places. And as I feel myself getting healthier, I get really scared because I think I won't be a creator anymore. Mm. And I've never, I've never been that way. I've, I, I feel like the more I always say I have to have my house in order before I can leave it. And so I kind of have my house in order physically because I'm a neat freak and, and metaphorically too, before I can walk in a room and, and write. And I, I need my relationships to be like, if there's something, if there's a conflict in my house at home, I need Rodney and I to work it out or something with my kids or something with my parents before I can walk in and, and write a song. And, and I want to help lead the charge and show that you can be just as innovative and interesting and have a healthy life too. Um, especially, I think especially like coming from a small town in Kansas, like I was, I felt a little cliche, you know, just because I, I did want to do the right thing. I did want to do good. And, you know, in a town that's very hip and cool and dark and experimental and all this stuff, like someone like me can kind of be looked at as like, oh, pat her on the head. That's cute. This little girl from Kansas that just, you know, has a conscience and, and wants to be a mom and like, oh yeah, like she's really going to have anything interesting to say. And so I think it's honestly just really badass to be able to like go in, go in a room and surprise people and show that you can have an edge without being, or you can be edgy without being a mess. Come on. Yep. And not, that's the part I wanted people to hear. And you buttoned it up with that is that you don't have to give up your edge. And, and the good news is, is those of us that are pursuing a, a better version of ourselves constantly and are actually living a pretty good life still have dark days, right? <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. not like that goes away. That's part of the human condition. It's just that you have the tools to ground yourself so that it doesn't become a norm. Um, and you have to, as you said, you, you did a great job again of paralleling the process of professional, creative, and personal in that we get to turn our mess into a message, but also that we get to, I believe, live into the best version of ourselves when we're honest about who we are and who we're becoming. And I, I for one grew up in a system where we didn't do emotions very well. And that's pretty common, particularly in uh, the culture of the region I grew up in, in the South, but also it's common in a lot of places, but it's really common for men too, to never get an imprint, to learn how to feel. And I thought when I learned how to feel, I was going to lose my man card. Mm -hmm. because I also grew up as I love the outdoors I'm an athlete. There's a lot of manly things I love to do and I haven't lost my passion for those. I still pursue it, but I also am a feeler now and I've learned how to do that, you know, at home and at work and everywhere I go, but I had to work at that and it became so abnormal in the early days that I didn't know what to do when life felt what you're describing is kind of solid. 
because there wasn't much drama. And I learned that drama early on was a way I could feel an emotion mm-hmm. and we're all desperate to feel. So I mm-hmm. used to attract relationships that weren't that healthy. And I didn't realize it was an unmet need of me just trying to feel something. And then now I'm happily into a marriage that sometimes is boring mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. The boring part is beautiful. It hasn't lost its edge. We still are not perfect. You guys have heard me talk about that too. We have our ups and downs and challenges uh, and we work through them. Uh, but there's a lot of times that the absence of, of drama is freedom. Mm-hmm. Well, it creates space for better things mm. that are more important. And I, as you were talking, I was even thinking to myself, I just was kind of, the thought was still developing, but I was like, I, I do think that back to the word edge, I feel like my edge is being able to connect in a room with people because I'm not so wrapped up in my own S H I T (laughs) that I can actually meet someone where they need to be met, like an an artist and they could, you know, and especially when I write with people from, sorry, LA, but a lot of LA writers come or artists come to Nashville and I see they are so starved for connection. They're like thirsty for it when you have something to give them and then they want to keep working with you. And so there is a, there's a lucrative business advantage to being healthy in that scenario where you, you're not so triggered by someone and their, and their stuff that you can actually just learn to connect with them because relationships are everything in our business. And if you aren't good at relationships, you've created a, a ceiling for how, how much you can, really do, I think. Hey friends, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with our friend Nicole as much as I am. After listening to this conversation, I keep reflecting on the beautiful truth she shared, how so much of life and even emotional wellness is more about uncovering what you already know about yourself and less about figuring out something new. At Onsite, we believe that you already have everything you need inside of you to live the life of connection and purpose you desire. You just need to rediscover it. That's one of the reasons we created our online digital course, Rediscovering You, to help you find and reclaim all those beautiful parts of you. The six-week course journeys through your past, present, and future circumstances to assess where you are, gain a deeper understanding of the beliefs and behaviors that inform your worldview, and ultimately helps you start to build the life you want to live. Our digital courses are grounded in the same proven framework and techniques as all of our in-person workshops, but from the comfort of your own couch at a pace that fits your lifestyle. We only open registration for this course every couple of months, but thankfully you have a few days left to join us in time to start with the next group, beginning Monday, March 1st. So get all the details at onsiteworkshops.com slash rediscovering you, and make sure to use the code podcast at checkout for $150 off. We'd love to have you join. How has uh, being a mom I- impacted you? Mm. Uh, you talked a little bit about your marriage with Rodney and the relationship, but you've been so intentional and public about sharing that journey, uh, particularly with images. I love the images you take and capture and share of your kids. How's it impacted you as as a leader, as a person, as a woman? Mm. Well, it's made me ask myself a lot of questions about myself. I am more intentional than ever. And I, uh, especially this year, I'm saying my word for this year is foundation. Mm -hmm. And um, for a lot of reasons that I won't go into, but 
I want to be able to look at my calendar and my kids have been the catalyst for this. Look at my calendar and go and be able to just close my eyes, point at something and say, why are you doing that? And be able to answer to myself why I'm doing that because there's only so much of me, so much of you as a dad, there's only so much to go around. And by saying yes to something, I'm always taking from somewhere else. I'm realistic. You're never just adding. You're also subtracting always. And and I feel like um, if I'm going to subtract time from them or time from myself or time from my husband or anything, I need to be able to give myself in the mirror a good answer as to why. And that really started when I became a mom because, you know, pulling out of the driveway to leave maybe like a night on the couch to watch TV, it's very different than pulling out of the driveway to to miss a night putting the kids to bed. And, you know, my daughter asked me the other day, this is a really like, this is more like a zoom in example of what it's like to be a working parent. I'd asked my daughter the other day, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? She said, I'm really interested in Gabriella's mom because she picks her up every day after school. And she said, basically, she's saying, I want to be like my friend's mom. I don't want to be like you. And basically, even further, what she's saying is, I want you to pick me up after school. And she's already doing that thing that we all do as we become parents. And we go, I'm going to try to give my kid what wasn't given to me. So in her mind, she's going, okay, well, when I'm a mom... I'm going to be stay I'm going to stay at home because I don't want my daughter to feel the way I feel when my mom doesn't show up. Which sparked a pretty real conversation about how and I'm just saying the word Gabriella because I'm not giving names away but you know I I tried to point out that every house is a different home and and every family looks and and feels different and I said you know Gabriella gets to see her mom after school on days that you don't But then there's some other things that we get to do because I work. And I've, I've really tried to, um, it probably started when she was probably about two. So it's been four or five years now, quit saying, I'm sorry, I have to go to work or I have to go to work. I quit saying I have to, because I don't have to, like we, I technically don't have to, my husband could carry the financial load of our, of our household. I just started saying, I love you, but I also that like love me too. Mm. And me doing this is, is an extension of me loving myself. And I, I, um, I really want to set an example for that. I I hope that I can just live the kind of life that I would want her to live. And I don't mean she has to be a songwriter or have a record label or do anything. That's some sexy job. I fell into a sexy career, you know, but if her heart is, to be a stay-at-home mom or she wants to learn to crochet, I want to at least set the, set the example that she doesn't have to apologize for it, for any of those things. So that's really been like the biggest thing. And, you know, it's hard because I pride myself in the fact that I'm not friends with people that are just like me. And most of my friends, most of my tribe are women that work from the home or in the home. And, and so that's been another level of me having to really be able to have good answers for the questions that are asked over a dinner table. It's like, why do you go? What is, you know, and I, I feel like it's, it's an ongoing journey and an ongoing internal conversation, but I do have good answers for why I, I love to leave and go and go chase the things that I do. Mm, that's so good. I, one of my, 
One of my favorite quotes, I can't remember, we'll figure out the origin of it and we can put it somewhere in the show notes is, but that the most, one of the most tragic things for a child is the unlived life of a parent. Mm. And I love that you're not apologizing for living into who you are, but also giving space for normal stages of development from a kid to be able to struggle and not to overly, I'm guilty. I'm going to take a page out of your playbook there because I do that. Now Maverick's just getting, your kids are a little ahead of mine, but Maverick's just getting to an age where he's saying, daddy, play with me, play, but he's, where are you going? And I'm doing the apologizing for, mm-hmm. I have to go to work. I have to go do this. And you're right. I choose to, I don't, I don't have to, I choose to. And now I've learned that without the struggle, there's no growth and development. It's just people don't have curated, safe, psychologically safe places to experience struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think as parents, particularly me, I often, I feel like I'm doing a good job with that, but I struggle with that, is allowing my kid to have those conversations and having the ego strength to be able to stand in it and empathize, but then give them a different perspective, which you just so beautifully shared. One of the greatest parenting things that I got from OnSite is just the ability to share my own story with my kids. And honestly, there's so many moments as a parent that they ask you a question or they come home and they tell you a story of something that happened and our nature is to want to have an answer for it. But what Onsite taught me, I think indirectly, didn't tell me to do this, but one of my big takeaways was that in a moment when I don't know what to say, I just share a story about my own life that connects with it, with my daughter. So if she comes home, and I I talk about Charlie more in these scenarios because she's older, so we just get to a lot of these situations first, but it's the same thing with my son. My daughter's almost seven and my son's almost five. And he doesn't sit still long enough to have a conversation yet anyway. (laughs) But (laughs) Charlie will come home from school and say something to the extent of, you know, Susie told me that she has a new best friend and it's not me anymore. I don't know what really happened there. And I believe her that that's her perception of her story. And I don't, I don't know what to say. So now I say, gosh, I remember when... You know, I had this one friend in high school and she was my best friend and then she ended up moving away and I was so sad, you know, or, or she went out for a sport and I did, and I just start to share something that makes her feel like it's okay to just feel that. And cause I don't know what to say to her. And honestly, most days I have no idea what to say to my kids. I just try to go, you know what? I hear you. And I'm just going to try to share, you know, as you know, in the rooms at onsite, everything is like, how do you connect with someone else's story? Mm. And that's just a muscle that I think when you do it a hundred times in that room, you can't help but not do that out in the world. Every time someone's talking, you're, you become programmed to see how your life overlaps with their life, which is just, I think, such an incredible tool. And so it's the same with my kids. I'm just trying to connect with a six-year-old when I'm I had a very different day than her. So thank you to Onsite for teaching me that. Because <laughs> I, I sure, I mean, honestly, it's just, I have no idea what to say most days. I don't know what's right and wrong Same. any more than they do in a lot of scenarios. Yeah. I think most of us feel that way. Or if you've never had permission to say, I don't know, it's so power, it's so freeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's such a good, I think, a good example for who we're imprinting and raising. The humility to say, I don't know, mm-hmm. get down on a knee and repair something that we messed up. But on site, I'm proud of what we have, but it's not going to be, 
it's not built for everybody to to come into that resource. The idea is is that it imprints people, just what you said, to go back out and create that in their own lives, in their boardrooms, in their living rooms, in their faith groups, in their businesses, social circles. Because I think that's the way we were always designed to be. If you go back in the early, early days and study sociology, that was, it was kind of a kinship, and that's a lost art to have a community built in that knows how knows how to listen without distraction, that knows how to empathize, and therefore we're built in to heal one another and, mm-hmm. and, and to live a life that, that feels a little more balanced. And it kind of reframes even what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've told a lot of people, I'm like, should basically be on the marketing team for onsite because <laughs> I like go in every room I, I walk into and I start talking about it within about five minutes. But I always say that it's like as close to, I feel like I felt as close to heaven as maybe I've ever felt in there. And I know everyone has different coming in at it from different faith angles. Um, and that's not what onsite's about, but I feel like for me personally, the closer that I get to myself, the closer that I get to God, and the closer I get to others, the closer that I get to God. And that's how I felt there. So those circles are those circles are really important. I don't know how you, well, I know how you do it because you do it for a living, but you literally like talk in sound bites. No. If we go back and get this conversation, it's like there's, I want to write down like 10 quotes that you said. The, the last one, the closer you get, the closer I get to me, the closer I get to God. Come on. Whereas so, I think growing up, it used to be the closer you get to God, the closer you'll get to yourself. And that, I think that was more confusing. Mm. And I, I feel like it's kind of turned as I've become an, a, more and more of an adult. It's turned. Yeah. Well, I could do this for two hours with you just because I'm thankful. We And, you know, back when you said I should be on mar- on-site's marketing team, I'm just the recipient now because I'm sitting in front of you. But my guess is, is that you have this way of anything you believe in, you champion. Uh, from the very first thing you said is I, I want to win and I want other people to win. And I've experienced that. And I just value that in you. It takes me all the way back, I guess, to the the six-year-old playing trouble mm-hmm. uh, and wanting to win so bad. And then watching how you've grown into the woman that you are, that you've taken the concept of win and you're spreading it and realizing the more I win, the more other people get to win. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. I can honestly say I live and work around a space that supports people and kind of living into the best version of themselves. But to have friends outside of that, that are in that pursuit, and I'm thankful that we've kind of turned into friends. I'm better for following you and paying attention and the times that we get to share our journey together and sit together. I'm better for it. And I can assure you, you will be too talking to, because this audience it will be a lot of our friends, uh, you know, our onsite audience, but then there's going to be a whole, whole lot of other people that haven't experienced onsite. And I just feel like you're one of those cultural champions that we want to watch and pay attention to, because I think you make people better in, not just in their profession, but in their life. And I didn't know this podcast would theme towards the idea of, of, of winning, but I just love that. It mm-hmm. works, uh, particularly the first origin story you told all the way up into the end. It's what if we could all be in this to support each other in winning? I don't know any other tool that I would encourage that could support people in living a more balanced life than champion ourselves so that we can champion others better. Yeah. Thank you for all that you do. Seriously. We're so lucky to to have you guys in our backyard here in Nashville. Cause yeah, it's just the greatest thing. It's the greatest work in the world. 
So thank you for all that you did too. Thank you, my friend. It was wonderful to have you. Appreciate your wisdom and insight. And um, I know our friends will too. So thank you for being a part of this. Thank you. If you want to learn more about OnSite and our various in-person, online, and digital offerings, please go to onsiteworkshops.com. At OnSite, we have seen that enhancing emotional health changes lives and helps us collectively create a more empathetic and more self-aware world. Our unique and proven therapeutic framework and healing hospitality can help you find the emotional wellness you deserve. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.